Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man. And here is a man who would never demand a million dollars, my fiscally responsible friend, Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? I am feeling great. Good cup of tea in front of me. Um, and no, a million dollars is not going a long way these days. I'm going to I'm gonna go for something more like Marvel Team Up with a billion dollars. Does that sound okay? I think it was $2 billion that they were ransoming the uh, island of Manhattan. Well, a little more conservative, you know, than a $2 billion. Well, speaking of money and things from around the world, uh, our character Spider-Man is going to be in another country again. We've seen him in a couple different countries. He's going to be off to, to France in these issues. And, Eddie, I didn't want our pro-American views to <laughs> skew this podcast and these issues for the listeners. So I wanted to bring in an impartial third party. Yeah, James B., you did a great job, a super job, in fact. Today we have a returning guest introducing from the Super Network, our Australian podcasting buddy, Super Marcy. We, we are super excited to have you join us. How's it going, Super Marcy? Hello, hello. Thank you for having me on. It is great to be here once again. And I'm not American or French, so I should definitely be a very impartial third party. I've never been to France. I've been to Canada and London, which are two countries Spider-Man has been to. Uh, I mean, London being, of course, a city, I understand. Um, Eddie, have you ever been to France? I have been to France, to Paris, and rode a train through most of the country. Uh, Super Marcy, have you gotten uh, off the island yet? I have left the island nation of Australia before, but I have never been to (laughs) France. I have been to your side of the world in the US of A, and I have been to Italy because uh, that's my heritage, being Italian. Wonderful. I think that's supposed to be in my, uh, my places I'm supposed to go. But right now, I'm supposed to go and introduce the first of our books, And that's from April 1975, The Amazing Spider-Man number 143, And the Wind Cries, Cyclone, by Conway, Andrew, Yakoya, and Hunt. Spidey keeps thinking he sees Gwen, but shrugs it off as a lingering Mysterio side effects, while snooping around the bugle as Spidey and then Peter to figure out what happened to J. Jonah. Joe Robbie takes him to lunch to show him a ransom note from Paris. Joe decides to take Peter to Paris with him along with the ransom to look for J. Jonah. Just before Peter takes off from the airport, he gets a huge smooch from MJ. Boom, everybody. Apparently, he's a great kisser. And I'm wondering, (laughs) is this a result of being bitten by the radioactive spider? Does he have better (laughs) kissing powers? Yes, yes, he does. Do you really think that? Um, Yeah, look, recently... I was bitten by a spider, but I'm not sure if it was, if I'm going to get Peter Parker powers or not. But since being bitten, and I haven't kissed anyone, but I'm going to assume that my kissing is superb. Uh, we've all read this issue recently. Okay, he's he finally kisses MJ. It's a big deal. Hmm. Well, if you go back four pages, I think he also kissed Betty Brant in the same book. Am I wrong? I don't know if anybody else has the book around them, but he goes in and gives Betty Brant a kiss just a few pages earlier. A a peck on the cheek, I guess we could say. But they draw her like with tingles all around her and she's Mm -hmm. blushing and he's like, how's the soon to be 
blushing bride have you and Ned Leeds set the date yet, Betty? Huh. And she's like, August 27th, Peter. It's sweet of you to ask. He's like, oh, come on. You know, you're the only girl I ever loved. And she's like, oh, Peter. And he's like, well, hold still. And he kisses her. And she goes, oh, Peter. I'm like, that's pretty aggressive. I guess so. It gives some credence to his spidey kissing powers. <laughs> Uh, well, do you think do you think it's weird that Peter is thinking is at the Alpha Tower and he's thinking about his thermal underwear? Yes, I do think it's really weird. <laughs> Peter, you're in Paris. You're at the Eiffel Tower. You are supposed to be helping uh, save Mr. Jameson with the ransom. There is so much going on and all he's thinking about is like, wow, it's so cold. Why did I not bring my thermal underwear? Peter, where's your camera? Take photos of Spider-Man showing off at the Eiffel Tower. You shouldn't care about your thermal underwear. Like, come on, bro. It's all good, man. What are you doing? <laughs> and Super Marcy, not only that, it's it's not even plot relevant. It's not like later on in the story because it's cold, something happens or because... We need to know this. It never comes up again, except that he talks about his thermal underwear, Eddie. I, I thought this was interesting because wouldn't you, if you were in Paris um, at the Eiffel Tower, think of the person you loved most? They just had this whole, you know, seven panel silent kind of he's flying away in the plane and MJ seems to be so shocked by it. So uh, and instead he's thinking of his thermal underwear, <laughs> you know. It's all over the board here. But allow me to continue with the um, summary, everyone. After swinging past the Eiffel Tower, Spidey is tracking Joe Robbie in Paris when he is assaulted by some colorful goons. Spidey swings in to save Joe, but is defeated by the cyclone when he knocks down a nearby building into Spidey. The cyclone makes a swirling departure, taking Joe Robbie with him and issues an ominous threat towards J. Jonah, Joe, and Spider-Man. They're telling Spider-Man... We need a million dollars. Do the French people think that every American is related to every other American? Like, where? first of all, where is Spider-Man going to find a million dollars? And why do they think he has this kind of money? This is I understand that there's a note and, they're tell, and they get permission from Joe Robbie to take a million dollars from the Bugle, which is a whole other problem that they have a million dollars for this ransom. But what? And also, last issue, J. Jonah Jameson rushes off to France, right? Yes. Is he just running away from his problems and then happens to get kidnapped? Is that what we're supposed to assume? It seems like these two things should be connected, but it also seems like they are not at all. So, Well, let's just move on to the next book because they're related, and then we can kind of talk about them both together. And that okay. book is from May of 1975, The Amazing Spider-Man, number 144, The Delusion Conspiracy, again by Conway, Andrew, Yakoya, and Hunt. Spidey is searching the streets of Paris for the recently kidnapped Joe Robbie and Jay Jonah. With nothing to show for his efforts, he returns to his hotel room to give Aunt May a call. Aunt May is doing splendid until she gets off the phone and heads out for a walk with Anna Watson. Outside, she sees a girl that causes her to think she's lost her mind. Ah! All right, you guys, listen up. It's two full pages. You get 14 panels. No Peter. No Spider-Man, Anna Watson, and Aunt May. They're just doing their thing. Um, you know, sometimes in Marvel Team-Up, they'll skip an entire Spider-Man webbing up 10 goons, and you're like, I don't even know what's happening here. These two guys get 14 panels together. 
I was super excited to see this much conversation between Anna Watson and Aunt May. Am I being ridiculous or is this fun? Yeah, I think, look, to kind of break up the story a little bit, it is interesting because we have some Aunt May, we have some Anna Watson, but something clearly is going on that's going to tie into how the issue ends. And uh, I thought it was good. Like, it's very cute that they're talking about, you know, the prospect of MJ and Peter. But then Aunt May, like, whoa, Ah! that ain't good, Aunt May. That ain't good. Yeah, I thought it was super important, too, because, I mean, we're only a minute or two from revealing to the listener what's happening. But I'm I'm reading this and I'm not fully convinced of what they're trying to tell me. I think, well, something else is going on. They're trying to convince me that. Gwen is being seen here and here by Peter. And I'm like, well, you know, Mysterio did play head games with him and some who playing tricks on him. But then when Aunt May gets involved in this, I start to think maybe there's a little bit more to this. I'm not really sure. Eddie, why don't you keep, keep it going for me here? Sure. Back of Paris, Peter is attacked by the Cyclone's goons and told to bring the ransom money to Notre Dame the next day. He collects the money, buys something from a local shop, and heads to the historic cathedral. There, he battles the Cyclone and defeats him with some American ingenuity, saving Jay Jonah and Joe Robbie. Uh, Super Marcy, what did you think uh, that it took an oversized fan to stop the Cyclone? See, this is where I was so invested in the, in the issues that somehow an oversized fan is what Peter uses to stop a villain with a... He, he's got, you know... It is a weapon, basically, what he's using. An exotic weapon Mm -hmm. is what it says, yes. He's the cyclone. How is wind stopping wind? This doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I just thought this was kind of ridiculous. Like, I'm sure they could have done something else, but Peter's like, hey, I'm just going to use this oversized fan. I'm just like, but we've been told that, like, because we understand what the motivation is, um that this involves uh, all sorts of things but this cyclone uh what he has on him is a weapon if this is meant to be like this most well one of the most powerful weapons that you could use in a war zone and it just takes an oversized fan to stop it like <laughs> you build all this up but that's how it stopped that makes no sense to me at all i just i it lost me a little bit i have to say I think, you know, the idea here is that the fan spins the cyclone the opposite direction so that, mm-hmm. it, like, the cyclone no longer spins, which is some questionable science, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't Spider-Man just shoot a web at the cyclone? I mean, he's spinning around, right? That would be it. Yeah, you'd think maybe shooting the webs would, like, tangle him up or something. <laughs> but no, just here, I'm going to turn on a fan. It was a perfect um, time okay. to tangle him. I agree. Uh-huh. All right, well... Speaking of outrageous electrical devices in this issue, Mm. Eddie, did you notice near the end that after he saves J. Jonah Jameson uh, as Spider-Man and Joe Robbie, all of a sudden, Peter's voice comes up from way up above and it says, say, Mr. Jameson, are you Mr. Robinson going to be down there much longer? I've got all the pictures we'll need for the Daily Bugle, but if you want, I can take some more. And... Jameson's like, oh, it's Peter Parker's voice. Where is it? And then Spider-Man's like, oh, I left him up there. And he swings up there where he's got a tape recorder. What did you think of the timing of how this all worked out in the distance? Are you okay with this? I, you know, the worst thing about Spider-Man trying to out, like 
you know, do a clever ruse against uh, Joe Robbie and Jay Jonah. Jay Jonah in this same issue, he karate chops Joe Robbie back into unconsciousness, and that mm. bothered me far more than this tape recorder, which was supposed to show that there was like they were actually separate people. They were in different places, uh, Spider-Man and Peter Parker. It's a high-quality recording if someone's fooled by it. <laughs> well, well, based on... I, mean. I think this recording is about 40 feet in the air, and it's timed to the exact moment when <laughs> when the, he needs to say it. You, you guys have no problem with this at all. You know... I do, actually. You have a problem with it. Yes, yes. I mean... How how much prep does like Peter slash Spider Man put into doing all of this? Like, this is you know nineteen seventy uh, mid nineteen seventies technology. I don't think he has a button to press to set off the recorder, um, and they would see him like turning it on. Like it's it's very it it, it just defies everything. Like I I'm totally fine with a a boy gets bitten by a spider and has all these powers that i can believe but all all this of him trying to convince people that they're too different like i I don't know if i buy how he does it but also i didn't like how he's just like thromp and he knocks out robbie like hey "Mm, there we go what ridiculous all right well let me (laughs) there we go let me address marcy's concern about this tape recorder okay because she's in luck because it's time for one of my favorite segments of all <laughs> called So You're Saying There's a Chance. So, Super Marcy, I'm going to explain to you how what seems very unlikely could possibly have happened. And here's how it is. Okay. So, like you, I was I was hesitant at first to believe this could this could go off. But as I watched the things that Spider-Man is saying. He really stalls a lot after knocking out the cyclone. And look at the lines he talks about. Never underestimate the genius of good old Yankee ingenuity cyclone. He'll bring you down every time. Then he's like, you're right, Robertson. You know, as a matter of fact, I was trying to save him, not you. Hey, Jameson, you've got half a mind. He's making all these jokes and standing around, hanging out with them, waiting and waiting because he has been estimating how long it would have taken him to defeat the cyclone. And it actually took him less time. Also, the words he says don't actually say that they won the fight or lost the fight. It just says, are you guys going to be down there much longer? I've got all the pictures I need. So it could have worked out even if things didn't work out at all. So I think that he sets a recording. He's got it on the edge here. He's playing it and he's taking his chance. I think as unlikely as it is, I think this could work. What do you think? Maybe? Could no. this, is this possible? No, no. <laughs> Eddie, is this possible? I once uh, conducted a piece for a middle school orchestra that was seven minutes long, along with a live recording. And we never ended with this, you know, taped recording, except for at the performance. It worked out perfectly. So if so I can you're get a middle that, school orchestra. So are you saying that there is a very small, but there's a chance this could work, Eddie? Stranger things have happened, I feel like. <laughs> so, yes, so, possible. You're saying there's a chance? Yes. All right. Thank you for at least considering <laughs> in our segment, so you're saying there's a chance. Uh, I understand that you, Marcy, are having some problems with fans, and you're having some problems with mm-hmm. um, 
with uh, the tape recorder, but don't worry. There's only one more sentence left. Let's see how you feel at the end of this issue. Eddie, why don't you finish it up? Uh, we end with Peter returning to New York, but when he opens his apartment door, there stands... Gwen Stacy, everyone. What a surprise. Or not really? I was surprised. I did not know reading this issue that Gwen Stacy, like I'm so used to people having fake faces and being not the people that we think they are and, and illusions and nightmares and dreams. I did not think that we were really going to see Gwen Stacy at the end of this. And when I read this, I looked around the room like I wanted to talk to somebody because our listeners might not believe this, but we're reading this first time through. We're not Spider-Man fans who have read all the books and now we're doing a podcast. We are doing a run through as we go, like, you know, like some people are. This was shocking to me. Well, yeah, but I feel like there was enough clues that we were going to see something. Um, But knowing like, yeah, she had been killed or she died, whichever you want to say. But it's it's in comics. People don't necessarily remain dead. So (laughs) you have that in the back of your mind. You can pick up Mm. on the clues. So um, I guess maybe the surprise was more that that's how the issue ended. Uh, But for me, it felt like that's what they were leading up to with uh, a lot of the hints in there. Well, Eddie, you've read a book ahead, correct? Yes, you've read 145? I have not, actually. We'll just end this awkwardness with uh, a quick sponsor. Oh, thank goodness. This is a good time for that. I'm ready, James. Everybody loves a sponsor. Eddie, I don't know how you guys protect yourselves out there in Michigan, but you got to stop wasting money on, like, alarm systems with installation fees, upgrade fees, monthly fees, and maintenance fees. Eddie, you can now protect your home with one item and one purchase. It's the DeLone Industrial 72-inch Portable Drum Blower Fan. It has a 43,875 cubic feet per minute with a four horsepower Corona motor single phase engine. It will blow away your enemies. Uh, If you order now, you will get a large sheet to just cover it absolutely free. Uh, The DeLone Industrial uh, model um, with instructions in uh, French or in English is uh, available at the low price of uh, $1,849 available in payments. You can see their ad in Portable Restroom Operator Magazine. Eddie, I needed to just check with you because these things are not, uh, there's not a lot of them available. Are you going to need one of these or did you want a second one for your cabin as well? What are you thinking? You you know, when you said, I don't know how you protect yourselves in Michigan, I really thought this was going to be a thermal underwear sponsor today, which I was looking (laughs) forward to. Um, this fan protects me. That's that's what's happening. It doesn't just cool my yeah. house. No, no, no. So if uh, let's say somebody's like, "Hey, you, um, you're, I want some, I want some money for my kids' Cub Scouts. We're selling, um, you know, poster paper. You just turn the fan on and bam, they're gone. Or if it's something more threatening, like uh, someone's like at, at the door not wearing a. Uh, hey, maybe they have coronavirus and they're not protecting their face and you're nervous about them. You turn on the fan and bam. Eddie, this is the same fan. I just drag it around with me and look for an outlet. Uh, It only, correct me, this is $1,800 somewhere in that neighborhood? That's what you said? Yeah, this it's it's a large it's a large fan, Eddie. Uh, If you don't want to protect your family, you can get it like a 48-inch model for like 
800 bucks or something, but that would, I don't know how well that would do it. This is Super Marcy. Could you explain to Eddie, you know, why you need a fan like this and how, how much you want one? I mean, look, we saw the power of the fan mm-hmm. when Peter used it. Oh, sorry, Spider-Man used it. Like, he defeated mm-hmm. the Cyclone. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if that's possible, this amazing fan, like, I would have, like, five just protecting my house. Like, no one's getting in or out unless I want them to get in or out. And those things are going to be on all the time. And especially it's good for keeping people away wow, in the winter the because it's cold. Yeah. So... You're gonna if you want to be a hermit, that's a good investment. Works in cold weather. We've seen that, right? We know it's mm-hmm. cold in France, and it works fine there. Marcy, mm-hmm. you're going to be like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz with five of these things going. Well, they're not going to be facing the house. They'll be facing oh. outside oh. the house. Come, come on, Eddie. Okay, all right. You don't you even know, understand. Marcy, you are... Do they spin exa- backwards in Australia or the same way? <laughs> <laughs> they're only backwards sometimes. <laughs> Or upside down, I'm not quite sure. Okay, all right. I'm going to pass, James B., sorry. Well, Super Marcy, do you have anything else you wanted to say about either of these books? In a way, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. Is it Far From Home? Yes. Far From Home, because of the whole, like, going elsewhere and, uh, like, a weather-ish type monster. Yeah. Or villain. So a little bit of that in there. Um, what a great connection. That was excellent. Yes. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I didn't mind them. Eddie, where were you on that connection? You're over here having talking about thermal underwear and fans mm. backwards uh, spinning from Australia. Come on, Eddie. Pay I was, attention to what you should be doing here. I was too busy thinking about my thermal underwear and fans <laughs> to, to come through on that one. All right. Well, Marcy, you, you know a lot of stuff and you do a lot of podcasts. Are there any podcasts that you think the listeners of Let's Read Spider-Man uh, might be interested in listening to? Yeah, so our weekly show is the To Be Tuesdays podcast and we pick random movies every week to do a watch along. And my co-host Batch also has a Spider-Man podcast. So there are lots of Spider-Man related uh Uh, jokes and such on the show and i think we're fairly entertaining excellent and if people wanted to reach out to you what's the best way to find you uh yes so people can find all of uh, our podcasts and shows at supermarcy.com so we're gonna uh give you a fond farewell and thank you so much for being here today thank you uh so much for having me back on your show it was an absolute pleasure as always thanks marcy Thanks, Eddie. (laughs) All right, Eddie. So we were a little uh, unorganized with this podcast where we weren't sure, uh, you know, if we were going to do two books or three. So we just had Marcy get two ready. But I did want to slip in one more book and I didn't even have you get the summary together. So I went out to uh, a website, marvelfandom.com. So this book is from April 1974, Giant Size Spider-Man 4, featuring the Punisher in To Sow the Seeds of Death's Day by Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew, and Mike Esposito. And the editor is Len Wein, by the way, on this one. Ooh. Well, thank you, Marvel fandom, for this summary. Web-slinging through the city, Spider-Man answers the call of a woman on the verge of being kidnapped by masked thieves. Spider-Man manages to fight most of them off. However, when one tries to get the drop on him from behind, he's shot from a sniper's bullet fired by the Punisher. 
After the girl is turned over to paramedics, the Punisher rides his battle van back to his secret hideout. When he opens the back, he finds Spider-Man had deduced that the Punisher was involved in his save and hitched a ride. The Punisher talks like the master of Kung Fu, where like he, you hear him writing his journal. So you, it looks like the narrators talk and there's like squares. Yeah. Um, you know, Spider-Man always sort of talks out loud to himself, um, which is kind of silly, I guess. But this reminded me of that a lot. Also, did it surprise you all of a sudden that Spider-Man was in the van? That was weird. I mean, it seemed like he was going to figure out what was going on because who else would shoot over his shoulder so accurately at somebody, you know, he didn't like. Uh, he, he like but faked weird. The, uh, yeah, he faked the reader out. Like he said something like, "Woom, I wonder where that came from. I'll just have to figure, I'll, I'll just wonder." Then he swung off, and then they showed the Punisher drive his van. The biggest Spider-Man's like, "I knew it was you." And I'm like, "Why are you faking us out, Spidey?" So, but uh, please continue with our Marvel fandom summary. The Punisher then takes Spider-Man to the headquarters of a deterrence research corporation, the maker of the gas, to take out its owner, Moses Magnum. Spider-Man is easily overpowered, and the Punisher does not get up to the main floor of the building in time to prevent Magnum and his people from fleeing the building in a helicopter with Spider-Man as their prisoner. Uh, when the helicopter lands and Spider-Man's being walked out, he turns to one of the guards and goes, Does your mother know what you do for a living? <laughs> it's a great line. But I couldn't believe that they actually like got Spider-Man and got him into the helicopter. Um, Moses Magnum is strong. I guess so. He's he's, he, he's like Man Mar- Marco strong. He's he does like the almost. Grizz- yeah, he does almost yeah, break he, his back. Right? Yeah, he, he's like the robots who are who are trying to take Manhattan strong. He's like the grizzly when he's got the jackals harness strong. This is a strong dude. He's kingpin strong. Please let me know what happens next. Taken to another country and put into the prison camp Magnum set up to test his gas on unwilling subjects, Spider-Man angers Magnum, who unmasks him and has a Spider-Man's picture taken so that he can learn his true identity later. However, the Punisher, anticipating this, gave Peter a makeup kit to alter his appearance. When he takes off his mask and like a bunch of hoods see him, they're like, eh, it's just some guy. We don't care. But when... He's going to get his picture taken. Conveniently, he has also just had a fake makeup kit, <laughs> false mask put on him. The chameleons walk around with Rick Jones masks. I suppose the Punisher could walk around with, you know, random dude masks, well, right? I thought that it was going to, to prove that this wasn't the actual Spider-Man at this point. Like, I felt like Spider-Man was getting beaten up and taken away and imprisoned far too easily. And I thought this was going to be some clever ruse. So it wasn't until he like removed the makeup and whatever was altering his appearance that I was like, wait, this was Peter Parker this whole time? So Would you liken it better if he took off his Peter Parker mask? <laughs> to reveal he's actually Spider-Man. <laughs> I knew it was Spider-Man because he had made that joke about, does your mother know what you do for a living? That's why I'm like, I'm like he's making the Spider-Man jokes. That's, that's but, actually the number one, the cadence of how these guys talk should reveal immediately who they are. There should be no secret identity when you hear somebody talk like that. So, Right. Well, let's hear this uh, controversial end. Uh, Spidey and the Punisher stage an attack against Magnum and his men. Taking the battle directly to Magnum himself, the Punisher shoots a canister on Magnum's hands, which contains the deadly gas. Spider-Man and the Punisher flee the room and close it off, presuming that Magnum died in the resulting release of the gas. 
Yeah, so Magnum's holding the gas above his head and Spider-Man. The Punisher shoots the canister, which lets the deadly gas out and, and into the room. And Spider-Man grabs the Punisher, gets out of the room and closes the door. And then looks at him and is like, uh, dude, we almost died, all of us. And the Punisher's sort of like, yep. And then he just leaves. I mean, he he says, like, I knew you were going to save me, really. But I don't think so. You think that's how it ended? I think that's I think, how, what he said at the all end. All right, I'm going to, we're going to the book. So we're on a Marvel team. We're not going to read it to you folks, but let me see. I don't think that's how it ends. You could be right. You could be right. He says, uh, let's see. Didn't you hear me warn you about Magnum's gas cylinder? And he says, of course. And he says, and you shot it anyway, knowing what would happen. See? And he just smiles. And it says, and suddenly Spider-Man knows he doesn't want an answer after all. <laughs> you think he thought we were going to get out? I think he thought he didn't care if he died. Wow. That is... You You could be right, but I didn't think that... He doesn't say, like, I know you got me. And he didn't say, like, I didn't care. They left that open. Man, the Punisher is a weird character. And it's time for the close. So uh, I'm James B., joined by... Eddie! And we want to once again thank Super Marcy. But remember, listeners, if you decide to hold two Americans hostage for one million dollars, make sure you keep clear of ceiling and window panes. Bye. Bye. In the beginning of the book, uh, after the Punisher takes out the guy with the gun. He shoots him in the head. He looks, Spider-Man looks as a bullet hole in the guy's head. And he's like, oh, I got my own Matt Dillon. <laughs> so I look up Matt Dillon. And Matt Dillon, not the actor, but Matt Dillon is a character from Gunsmoke and he's the sheriff.